just a start this morning, can I ask whether you have heard of what is called a communion season before? Is that a phrase that is known to us as a congregation, a communion season? Have you heard of that or not? I'm sure some people will have heard of a communion season. It's not so much the case now, but in years gone by, what would happen in Scotland is that churches would hold or host what was called a communion season. This was where in the run-up to observing the Lord's Supper, in the run-up to coming to the table on a Sunday, wait for this, the run-up to it, the week leading up to it, the congregation would host a whole host of services to prepare the people of God. So what am I talking about? Wait for it. It's true. Believe me, it's true that sometimes a congregation in Scotland would host as many as maybe 20 services during the week in the run-up uh, to the uh, to the Lord's Supper. Sometimes in English, sometimes in Gaelic, but multiple of services. Well, this morning, we are not beginning a communion season, okay, at London City Presbyterian Church, we're not. Uh, but I do actually want us this morning to follow a similar theme. See, next Lord's Day, next Sunday, what we're going to do as a congregation is we are going to observe communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table. So this morning, what I want us to do, you and I, is just to pause, to stop, and to actually think about that event, to ponder, to consider the Lord's Supper. Why do I want to do that? Why do to do that? A couple of reasons, really. I'm honest with you. One, yeah, the communion season stuff. I want us to prepare ourselves adequately to come next week to the Lord's table. That's part of it. There's another reason, though. This morning, what I want to do particularly is to unveil a couple of changes that the elders of this church are making to the way that we go about communion at London City Presbyterian Church. A couple of changes to the manner, the frequency of how we think and how we do communion. So maybe you can already see what we're doing this morning. What do I need to do if we're going to make changes to communion? What we need to do is go to the Bible, don't we? You and I this morning need to go to Scripture to ensure that those changes that the elders are making are legitimate we need to make sure that these changes are according to God's words. Okay, so everyone gets a plan, do we? We're going to think about communion and think about these changes. What? Where are we going to go to, to think about these? Where, where are we going to go? Well, it'll not come as a surprise to you that we're going to go to this uh, very famous portion of Scripture that we've just read in First Corinthians chapter 11. A portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, in order to kind of combat abuses of the Lord's Supper that were taking place. Did you notice what Paul does? What Paul does is remind the church of Jesus' first institution of the Lord's Supper. Everyone got that, did you? Paul reminds them of that night where Jesus Christ, with his disciples in the upper room and during the Passover. What does Jesus do? He breaks bread, he drinks wine, and he commands us to do the same. We're going to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a section of scripture, small, but I'm sure familiar to you all. Now, can I do what I always do at this point of a service? Can I ask you humbly to please turn with me in your Bibles to that portion of scripture? It will benefit us all, I'm sure, if we have God's word in front of us. So you've got the page number 958. I'd ask you to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
We're going to notice a few elements of uh, the Lord's Supper together just now. Okay, the first one is this. The first heading, if you like, is this. I want us to think about the fact that communion is, is a strengthening meal. That's the first thing that we need to get our heads around from Scripture. Communion. The Lord's Supper is strengthening meal. Okay. We ready to do this? <coughs> Excuse me. You might have to put up with a bit of coughing during the service. I'm sure you will cope. Okay, if I was to ask you uh, this morning uh, what you would say is the most contentious issue in the life of a congregation, where would you go? If I was to say what tends to be some of the most divisive, controversial stuff in the life of the congregation, what answers am I going to get from the congregation just now this morning? What would we go for? What's contentious? Maybe you would say music and praise. Congregations love to, to, to fight about instruments and songs and stuff, don't they? Maybe you would say clothing as a controversial issue. What people should wear to church is sometimes controversial. Maybe what else would you, maybe gender roles. There you go. There's, there's one, isn't it? Congregations love to fight about the, what should a man do? What should a woman do in the life of a congregation? Well, I find it really interesting what the American theologian Charles Hodge once said, he said that this subject that you and I are thinking about today, so the subject of communion, the Lord's Supper, he said that that historically has been the most contentious and divisive issue. Have you ever thought about that communion being the most divisive issue for the life of the church? Now, what's he talking about? Well, I think it's fair to say, honestly, that most of the controversy focuses around a little phrase you've got in front of you here in verse 24. So can I ask you just to get your eye down to verse 24? <coughs> Excuse me. So we read, on the night that Jesus, uh, he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. Everyone thinking about it? Jesus takes bread. What does he do? He breaks the bread. What's the next bit? What does Jesus say about the bread? He says, this bread, this is my body. Now, if you know anything about church history, right? Even a little bit of church history, what do you know? You know, wow, that down the centuries, that, you know, there's been all manner of opposing, contrasting views. What does Jesus mean? He's holding a bit of bread. He said, this is my body. Throughout church history, there's been a lot, all manner of views about this. And I do think it's worthwhile me just very quickly chucking out some of those views to you. Okay, you stick with me as to do that. Boys and girls, you'll listen as well. Okay, first view, what have people thought? First view is what is called transubstantiation. If you're taking notes, all the best. Transubstantiation. We do know what this means, so don't we? Don't we know what it means? Substantiation, that is the Roman church view, isn't it? It's the Catholic view of the Lord's Supper, isn't it, friends? It's the view, now wait for it and listen carefully, it is the view that suggests that at the Lord's Supper, that the bread, the elements, the wine, they actually undergo a transformation, a complete, an actual real change. So the Roman church, the Catholic church, will say to us, that actually when we eat the bread, what's happening is that that's transformed into the skin the actual flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. You drink the wine, the Roman Catholic Church will tell you, that's, it might, it might taste like wine, you know? It might look like wine, it might smell like wine, but the Roman Church is telling you, well, that, that's blood you're drinking. That's actual blood. What do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Like, immediately and unreservedly, we have to reject that, don't we, in a church like this? Don't we? Do, do we understand why we've got to do that? Wow. 
not only is it clearly unbiblical, but if that were true, do you see what would be happening? Do you see? Every time you eat the bread, every time you drink the wine, that would be tantamount to re-sacrificing the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is the view that suggests that the cross is not a finished and complete work. What do we do with it? We boot it into touch, don't we? So that's transubstantiation. Second one, you'll also have heard of this, I'm sure, sure of it. Second view is consubstantiation. Have we heard of that? Consubstantiation? That's of course Martin Luther's view or Lutheran view, although Martin Luther really didn't like that term consubstantiation. So what does that say about communion? Well, it's different. Okay, everyone understands that, right? So in Lutheranism, the bread isn't viewed to have undergone a change. So the wine doesn't transform. But Lutheranism, consubstantiation, it says that Christ Jesus is actually physically present at the table. Listen, it views and suggests that Christ is with the bread, beside the bread, above the bread, under the bread, and the same with the wine. A view that, man, I'm sure you'd agree, is so mind-boggling and so weird, <laughs> so strange that again we've got to dismiss it, okay? Now you've got transubstantiation and you've got consubstantiation. Look, I know it's technical and I know it's first thing Sunday morning, but you're still with me, right? Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, we put them to the side, we get rid of. I'll say something that I think is maybe a little bit strange. I'm going to say to you that I don't think that those are the greatest dangers for London City Presbyterian Church. Like, I know that a, a guy, Francis Chan, who some of you have heard of, an American theologian, he came out very recently, and he came out affirming transubstantiation. So maybe that's influential. Maybe you've read some of his stuff, and maybe that is a danger to you. But I don't think transubstantiation, consubstantiation, I don't think they're a big danger for us. Do you know what I think? I think it is the next view that's the biggest trouble for London City Presbyterian Church. And it's what is called, what I'm going to call Sphingley's view. So Sphingley was a Swiss reformer. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to consider right now, if this, what comes next, if this is how you have thought about communion. So where I go next, I want you to think about whether this is how you've thought about communion. Right? You'll do that, will you? So what did Sphingley believe? Listen, is this what you believe? Sphingley believed that the Lord's Supper was really simply a bare memorial meal. Okay? So Sphingley believed that really what we do at the Lord's Supper, simply all that happens is that we pause as a church, and what we do is we profess our faith. You notice at communion, very often there's a separation of those who are in Christ, those who are not. We pause, do we? And we profess our faith, and Sphingley believed that at the table, what we then do is simply we ponder and we think through Christ and what he has done. A bare sign, a bare memorial meal. Can I ask you honestly, just now, is that how you've thought about communion? It's a time where you reflect, a time where you pause, and that's all that's happening. Is that how you've thought about communion? I really like humbly want to say to you, that ain't communion. That, that, that's wrong. 
And what happens there is it brings me to the fourth and the last of these views. And it's what I'm going to call the Reformed Orthodox view of communion. So what is it that I believe? What is it our church believes about the Lord's Supper? You're going to hear it? You're going to get it? What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? I, I, I will wait. Please. There's, oh, that's absolutely come. There's seats. You're welcome. Good to see you. What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? Listen, John Calvin, he believed that at the Lord's Supper, though Christ's involvement is not physical, listen, we believe that Christ Jesus is spiritually both present. Now, this is the exciting bit. We believe that Christ at the Supper is also spiritually active at the Lord's Supper. And is everybody getting that? Christ is spiritually present. And Christ is spiritually active at the Supper. So what does that mean? It means, listen to this, that when we eat the bread and we drink the wine, what is happening? Listen, I'll read the confession to you. What's happening is that you receive as a Christian the Lord Jesus Christ. At the supper, it's not just that we're thinking about Jesus Christ. At the supper, Christ is spiritually active. And that spiritually, the confession says to you, that you, wait for it, you feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually at the Lord's Supper. Now, hang on a second. Do you see how that exciting that is? Do you? Because, like, come on, how do we usually think about church growth? How do we think about a Christian maturing and growing in faith? What sort of things do we associate with that? What would you say? We go, we'll go to a conference. We'll grow spiritually if we do that, you know, or we serve with other believers. That'll grow us spiritually. Or we go to lectures or we go to all these different meetings. We do that. We're going to grow in faith, right? Is that how we think about it? That's good. That's fine. And there's a lot of truth in that. What are we learning there? What do we learn from our confession or from scripture? That huge part of spiritual growth, a massive part of the maturity of a believer, where does it come? It actually comes through the Lord's Supper itself. Isn't that exciting? Along with the other means of grace, the preaching, the reading, the praying of the people of God. What happens at communion? Listen, what's going to happen next week? In here, if you're a Christian, next week, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to spiritually strengthen you. This is my body, he says to you. Next week, the Lord Jesus Christ will spiritually nourish you, Christian friend, and he will build up. So it is a strengthening meal. Second thing that I want us to consider from that portion of scripture is that communion is a commemorative meal. Got it? A commemorative meal. Um, here, I think, to be honest with you, I think we come to the most obvious theme in relation to the Lord's Supper. Uh, so if we had longer, and if I was to survey London City Presbyterian Church this morning, and I was to ask you for what you think communion's about, some of the themes that you think, think of when you think of communion, what would you say back to me when you think about communion? I think some people would think, mention thanksgiving, would you mention that? Some churches we call it a Eucharist, Thanksgiving. Other people we talk about repentance is a good theme. Other people we talk about expectation. We're to do this until the Lord Jesus returns. Yes, some people would say this. I think this would be number one 
uh, answer family fortunes. If I was to ask you, uh, what do we think of as a theme of communion? I'm pretty sure most people would say back to me, remembrance. Wouldn't you? Isn't that the predominant theme we have in our minds as we read First Corinthians? First Corinthians, we are to remember. Now with that in view, I really just want to answer just like a couple of questions about the remembrance that we're to, to do next week. I want to ask the what and the when. So the, the first question is, what are we supposed to remember at communion? So can I ask you to look at verse 24? You answered it. What are we supposed to remember in verse 24? Do you see? What does Jesus say? He says, you do this in remembrance of it's a very simple answer. What's the next word? You do this in remembrance of me. Christian friend, does that not need very much to be at the forefront of your mind this week as you prepare to come to the Lord's table? Like, did you see what's supposed to happen next Sunday morning as you come in here, as we sit at the table? Did you see what's supposed to happen? You're supposed to remember the Lord and you're to remember what he has done for you. Like next Sunday morning, friend, you and I, we're to remember that it isn't just bread that we're eating. It is bread that is broken, has been broken for you. We're supposed to remember it's not just wine, but it's wine that has been poured out for you, Christian friend. We're supposed to recall the fact that the very Son of God himself has had his body broken, his life poured out to secure for you salvation. Now, as we go to the table, what else do we remember? We remember the sheer incredible humiliation that that involved for our Savior and for our Lord. Does it not strike you? Every single time you read this section, does the phrase not get you? When does this institution happen? Do you remember the phrase? This institution happens on the night Jesus was betrayed. Do you see it? This institution, Jesus instituting communion against the backdrop of the Son of God being schemed against, conspired against, lied about. Do you see what I'm saying? What is communion? Communion is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is next week a time where you remember and I remember that we as Christians contribute absolutely nothing to this glorious salvation that we have received. So what do we remember? We remember Jesus. We remember the cross. But the second question is when do we remember? And with us, I've got to come to the first of the two changes that the elders, we call them a Kirk session in this church, don't we? The first of the changes that the Kirk session are making to the communion. Okay, so from this point on at LCPC, the frequency of when we're going to observe communion is going to change. So instead of our present practice, if you're a visitor here, our present practice is that we we come to the Lord's table, we observe the sacrament once every two months. From this point on, that will change. And at London City Presbyterian Church, we are going to observe communion once a month. And it's going to be on the third Sunday of the month, which helps it. Raise it in our minds because that ties in with a fellowship meal that we have. So has everyone in the room got it, especially if you're a member of LCPC? We change communion once a month, third Sunday 
uh, of everyone tying in with the fellowship lunch. Now, I am not daft. I know. Too many people smiled at that, uh, that comment. I'm not stupid. I know what could happen when I say to you we're changing the frequency of communion. So what could happen? I could get it in the ear, I think. Couldn't I? From Now that's the thing. I could get complaints or the eldership could get complaints. And we could get complaints from two sides or from different angles. Does everybody understand? So we could have people say to me, what, you're changing it to every month? Every month? That's way too often for communion. If you have communion every month, then communion is going to lose how special it is. Communion is going to lose its significance. It's too often. An argument you will notice that is not used of preaching. Is that Nobody ever says, right, in a church we need to have less preaching because it will lose how special it is. So I could get comments, complaints from that direction. What else could happen though? Do you see what else can happen? At the same time, I'll get people potentially coming to the Kirk session and saying, once a month, once a month is not enough. Not enough for communion. We want to be a truly reformed congregation. We want to be a Calvinistic congregation. And what did John Calvin say about communion? Did he say that we should have it every month? No. Did he say we should have it every week? No. John Calvin said we should have communion at least once a week so we could get it from one direction and could get it for the direction. Now, if you are this morning tempted to fall too dogmatically into either of those camps, can I please ask you at verse 25? Now, the question we're asking is when do we remember and what does Jesus say? He simply says, as often as we partake. And I wonder if you see how significant that is. I wonder if you see what that tells you. It tells you that the Lord Jesus Christ does not pronounce on the timing, the frequency of communion. You hear that? The Bible does not mandate, does not specify, does not pronounce on the timing of communion. But because in our Reformed tradition, we see that it's supposed to be what an ordinary means of grace. It's supposed to be a regular part of the life of a congregation because of that. What do we get to do from this point on? Once a month we get to feast on Christ. Once a month we get to be built up spiritually. Once a month we get to pause and remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. So it is what? It's a strengthening meal. Second of all, it is a commemorative meal. Thirdly, I want us to notice here that it is a covenantal meal. A covenantal meal. If you're on the ball this morning, if you had your ready break or your Wheatabix and your coffee and you're with me, you know that I said a moment ago that there were going to be two changes that the elders were going to implement in this congregation to the way that we do communion. The first one, frequency, right? Monthly. You're asking... I'm sure what the second change is. This is going to sound strange. There's so many people in this room. <laughs> but from this point on uh, at LCPC, the Kirk session has agreed to increase simply the amount of cups that we are going to use at communion. If you're a member of this church, you might say, uh, we use a common cup 
a London City Presbyterian Church. We don't use a common cup, a London City Presbyterian Church. We have two cups that we use, a London City Presbyterian Church. And all we're doing, we're going to increase the number of cups. Why? So that every professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a cup in front of them. The Lord's Supper. Everyone has a cup. Now, again, not daft. I know that you want to know deeper, why would the Kirk session, why would the elders make such a change? Okay? Now, there's a lot, there's a raft of places we could go with that. We could go to the logistical reasoning behind that. Our congregation grown to the extent that Peter and Marina cannot see me at the moment. There we go. But our congregation has grown. That necessitates change. So we could talk about the logistical reasons for the change. We could, if we wanted to, talk about medicinal reasons. I know that some people do not partake in the communion at London City Presbyterian Church for the hygienic reasons, about sharing a cup. You've got that. We could talk about that. I don't have any interest in talking about it. I just want to talk about the theological reasoning. Because I'm pretty sure every single Christian in here, every single one of us, realizes that along with the other themes of the Lord's Supper, right up there is the fellowship of the saints. What do we call the Lord's Supper? We call it communion. Communion with Christ. And communion with each other. And I'm standing and asking, do you see from this point on what we will be able to do as a congregation? I am enthused about this. Do you see what will happen next week? Every Christian receives the cup. Every Christian has the wine in front of them. And what can we do as a church? We can pause with that wine in front of us. And we can wait. And then prompted by the minister of the word... We can, as a church, drink and drink as one. Isn't that theologically sweet? Isn't that we can, as a congregation, we can drink in unison. We can observe the sacrament as one. We can drink together as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure we could. I have no doubt we could get bogged down with differing views about people, different views about how big the cup should be, how many cups we should have. And again, I want to underline the fact that Scripture doesn't pronounce these things. So you and I could get bogged down in those things. We could. We could get tied in all that sort of stuff. We really could. Instead, what I want us to do is to just think about what that cup signifies. So can I ask everyone just to look at verse 25? Now, I want to do it even more precisely. Can I ask you to look at verse, the middle of verse 25? So I'm asking you, what is the cup? What does it signify, Christian friend? What would you say back to me? Look at verse 25. Jesus says, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Read it again. Come on. The new covenant in my blood. Now, all week, this has warmed my heart. Believe me. This has raised my soul to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so keen for you to get this. But you're going to have to bear two details in view. Keep two details in your mind. I know you'll do it with me. I know you will. Here's the first detail. We all know, do we, what a covenant is? Everyone, do we please I've spoken about it. Harrison has spoken about it. Other ministers, we all know, the big girls know. A covenant in the Bible is a treaty, isn't it? It's an agreement, an oath entered into by two parties. We all know that. Here's the first detail. In the Old Testament, these covenants were secured by blood. 
How in the Old Testament was an oath or a treaty or a covenant secured and ratified? Do we know the answer? We know it always came through the spilling of blood. Think about what Harrison read earlier on in Exodus chapter 24. God enters into that agreement with the covenant community. What does Moses do? It's brutal. Isn't it gruesome? He throws blood over the people. He's throwing blood over people. So we got the first detail. A covenant is secured, sealed, ratified by the spilling of blood. Second detail, please get it. Very often in the Bible, very often in the Old Testament, a covenant, an agreement was celebrated and it was celebrated with a meal. Do you see it? That these two parties who were formerly warring and at enmity with one another, they enter into this covenant and it is secured and ratified by blood. What do they then do? They are at peace. To celebrate that peace, they eat together. Laban, Jacob, Genesis 31, coming together in peace and eating. Now, if you're with me, if you're bearing those two details, remember them? The covenant ratified by blood, celebrated by meal. If you keep those in view, do you see what should happen just now in our hearts? We, Christian friends, should rejoice. Because what's true, God has brought you into A covenant with him. A covenant where he has promised eternal salvation to you. And how has that covenant agreement been secured and ratified? What do you say to me? Not by the blood of a goat. Not by a ram's blood being thrown over you. But by the very blood spilt. The son of God. And then it hits you, doesn't it? What we are coming into this room to do next week. Friends, do you see what we get to do? Next week, you, Christian friend, you get to eat at peace with the almighty, eternal God. Whose table is this that we go to next week? You, Christian friend, me, by the blood of Christ, upon that basis alone, we go to the Lord's table. We are at peace with God. We celebrate that in communion. Communion is a meal of covenant joy and covenant renewal and then i want to close with this the last thing we've seen what that it is a strengthening meal to build you up christian friend we've seen that it's a commemorative meal where we remember the lord jesus christ we've seen that it is a covenantal meal and lastly we see that it is a declarative meal now i wonder uh, if you're a believer in here and i wonder Do you regard yourself? Would you say of yourself that you are a natural evangelist? Would you describe yourself in that way, Christian friends? Would you say that amongst your colleagues and your family and your friends that you are a natural evangelist, a natural witness? Would you say that? I doubt very many people in this room are going to volunteer that about themselves. Are you? I don't think so. I've known personally one or two, maybe three or four people who might say that about, you know, the sort of people, do you? The sort of people that are just talking about Christ all the time. You know, they're on a train and they're on a plane and they're speaking to a stranger and they're so filled with joy in Christ they can't help but tell people of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true of some. I doubt many of us would say that of ourselves. I wonder. Christian friend, maybe, maybe you are a better witness for Christ then you realize have a look at how this section of scripture ends have a look at verse 26 
Now, what does Christ Jesus say that you are doing at the table? Do you see? The Lord Jesus says, as often as you eat the bread and as often as you drink the cup, what does he say next? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Does everyone grasp that? Does everyone cling that and take it to your heart? That the supper is declarative? It's proclamatory? I don't know about you, but that for me, that lifts my heart. That enthuses my soul greatly. Friends, it should for you, because do you see what's going to happen next week? Do you see what, what happens when you come into this place and you receive the elements, you partake of the Lord's Supper? Can I tell you what you're doing? You are preaching. You understand that at the table? Ah, it's not just me. It's not just Harrison. There's not just a visiting minister at the table. But it is all the covenant community. The people of God who are proclaiming the good news in visible form. And I think because of that, I, I gotta end here by speaking to those in the room who are not this morning trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. I'll give you a second to ask yourself whether that is you. Do you have a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you resting in Him? With repentance and faith or not? Are you rejecting Christ Jesus? If you are rejecting Him, I wonder if you see what's gonna happen next Sunday morning. Myself and all the elders and all the other people in here, we plead with you to come back next week to the Lord's Supper. Come back. Come back to the service next week if you're not a believer. But I wonder if you'll see what will happen next week in this place. It won't just be me. It won't just be Harrison. It will be all these people. It will be this whole congregation of saints who will proclaim to you the good news of the gospel. And what is that good news? You will see next week in the bread, you will see in the wine, that it is but Christ. And Christ alone who can bring salvation to your life. You will see in the bread, the wine, it is but Christ who will bring, can bring satisfaction. You will see in the bread and the wine, that it is but Christ and he alone who is the bread of life. Christian friends, we're not beginning a communion season. But let's go. Let's come back prepared for the Lord's Supper. Don't you? Don't you stand with me and say, what an amazing privilege. Next week we eat what sort of meal? A meal where we, what? We feast on Christ. We recall the Christ. We, we eat alongside Him. And lo and behold, what is this? Next week you and I, we get to proclaim together the Christ. We proclaim him crucified and crucified for us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for the ordinary means of grace. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for the reading of scripture. We thank you for preaching. But we also praise you for the sacrament of the lord's supper this visual representation of the good news of salvation being found only through the broken body and spilt blood of the lord jesus christ how we pray that you would teach us more of the sacrament but how we thank you that you have resolved to build us up
by your means. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.